What police are saying about a West End party that could easily have left five people dead. Plus. We didn't think it was so serious. We didn't think we were going to catch it. One man's warning after a birthday party becomes a COVID super spreader event. And. They utter threats against his family. They say awful things about his family. Surrey neighbors say they're under siege by protesters targeting a member of Surrey's Chinese community. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. A party in Vancouver's West End Friday night has put people's lives at risk in more ways than one. Paramedics and police were called to deal with multiple overdoses at an apartment on Jervis near Davie Street shortly after midnight. At least five people were found in serious medical distress, along with others outside the suite requiring help. They'd consumed cocaine and MDMA. Multiple doses of naloxone were administered by both paramedics and the VPD. Seven people aged 25 to 42 were transported to hospital for further medical assessment. This was a party. They should not have been together. And they were using recreational drugs like MDMA and cocaine. Obviously, these drugs were contaminated and people suffered overdoses very, very quickly. Another Vancouver, poli Vancouver police rather, were called to another large party in the downtown area last night, this one at Howe Street near Davie. When officers arrived at the apartment, they heard loud music and found 16 people inside ranging in age from 13 to their mid-20s. Only a couple of people lived at the, restaurant, at the residence. The host was handed a $2,300 ticket and the visitors told to leave. Well, despite stories like that and a health order, anti-mask protests continue around the province, including at a coffee shop in New Westminster. Oh, we are we are live in, in a in a cafe that are discriminating against us for our medical disability. They're refusing a service, and they think they can do it. They cannot do it. This video has been viewed more than 22,000 times since it was posted to social media on Monday. The protesters were refused service at the Hideout Cafe across from the courthouse because they refused to wear masks. Police eventually showed up but didn't make any arrests. The protesters recorded the event that went on for close to an hour. Dr. Bonnie Henry has repeatedly and strongly denounced anti-maskers. We've heard stories this week and they make me very concerned and sad about store clerks and restaurant staff who have faced undeserved aggression from people who don't want to wear a mask. Please remember that this requirement to wear a mask in indoor public locations is a provincial order that everyone must follow, just as we do things like wearing seatbelts and helmets and following the speed limits. A man is facing a fine and criminal charges after allegedly refusing to mask up inside a Victoria grocery store. You're psycho! You are psychopaths! That's what you are! Police were called to the market on Yates Street Friday morning because of a confrontation that occurred when a customer without a mask on became belligerent when staff offered him one. 56-year-old Robert Thomas Smith has been charged with assault with a weapon and uttering threats. He was also handed a $230 fine under the COVID Measures Act. Police say he was arrested after verbally attacking and physically confronting staff at the store. 
Well, after another record-breaking day for new COVID-19 cases in B.C. on Friday, a North Vancouver man has a dire warning. He and five family members attended a birthday party for his father several weeks ago. Well, now, as Kristen Robinson reports, what they considered a small get-together with their safe bubble was, in fact, a super-spreader event. What was supposed to be a small family dinner to celebrate his father's 66th birthday turned into a super spreader. Maybe we had a blindfold on. We didn't think it was so serious. We didn't think we were going to catch it. Sean Hansen's family is not the picture of health. His wife lives with a movement disorder. Both his parents have underlying health conditions. Still, they decided to gather with two other relatives earlier this month, even as a seventh person cancelled after getting sick with what they later learned was COVID. For me, it might have been stupid to do it, but learn from what I went through. All six came down with the virus after the East Vancouver gathering. Hansen says he and his wife have since recovered. Mom is doing better, while Dad is fighting for his life in hospital. I'm sitting here like a little bo- a lost little boy in the mall calling for his parents, but both his parents are down. With 11 more deaths reported Friday, COVID has claimed 395 lives in B.C. More than 300 people are in hospital. We are physically and emotionally getting exhausted by this virus. As frontline healthcare providers battle the rising numbers, Doctors of B.C. is asking the public to help by staying home and sticking to their immediate households. At some point, we need to decide if that poker game or that birthday party or that gathering uh, indoors in close quarters is actually worth someone's life. It's a scary world right now, and people got to understand how severe and terrifying this actually is. We need the cooperation of people who are testing positive to work with us. That's what's the most effective way. That's how we better deal with COVID-19 in British Columbia. If a contact tracer called you today and said you're positive with COVID, let's find out who you've been in contact with. Be honest. Take care of your family. And if you think that what we did was stupid, don't follow in our lead. Kristen Robinson, Global News. In Salmon Arm today, anti-maskers gathered to protest provincial health orders. The rally itself was in flagrant violation of the law. Darian Matassafung has that story. That a mask is like putting a plastic bag over your head with a twist tie. Over 70 people gathered outside of Salmon Arms City Hall on Saturday to protest provincial health orders. What's important for me to be down here today is I am a citizen of this great Canada that once was. And I'm here to say that a lot of things have changed and I'm appalled by what I see here. The noon gathering outside City Hall was peaceful with massless protesters singing, dancing and espousing opinions about the coronavirus pandemic. Protesters claiming Canadians' rights and freedoms are being taken away by the government. I'm 78 years of age, and if I want to put a mask on my face and keep breathing in and out of my own breath, I'm probably going to die in a month. The protest in direct violation of the health order given November 19th, banning events and social gatherings indoors and outdoors. And I have no time for people who believe that wearing a mask somehow makes them ill or is a sign of lack of freedom. To me, it's about respect for our fellow 
um, people who are suffering through this with us. There were no counter-protesters at the rally, but we asked some people in downtown Salmon Arm their opinion of the protest. The opinion is that um, it is completely um, uninformed, and I do feel sorry for the people that have been influenced by the people that have uh, made them believe it. We're a small community and we have a small healthcare system as well. And I believe large gatherings put a strain on their hospitals, which is not fair for the community. It's not fair for the workers here. And it's selfish to just disregard other people's health. One RCMP member was on scene, but only to monitor the situation. No tickets were handed out. Darian Matasafan, Global News, Salmon Arm. There are growing concerns at a number of Metro Vancouver courthouses where several staff members have tested positive for COVID-19. At the Surrey Courthouse, eight sheriffs are confirmed to have the virus. 23 sheriffs and two other courthouse staff are now self-isolating. The Attorney General says trials have not been impacted. The union which represents the workers says it has heard some people are not following the mask mandate. We are extremely concerned uh, at what is happening at the Surrey Courthouse. Um, you know, our role is to ensure that our members are kept safe and healthy and um, we don't get to approve or reject a safety plan that is put in place for a work site. But it's clear that the safety plan at Surrey Courthouse is not working. In addition to the eight cases at the Surrey Courthouse, two sheriffs at the Abbotsford Courthouse have also tested positive. The ministry says it's monitoring the situation. For the past two months, the residents of a Surrey cul-de-sac have been the subjects of near-daily protests. Now they're asking why the city or police haven't taken action to stop what they feel is harassment and intimidation. As Paul Johnson reports, it involves a bizarre tale of intrigue, international intrigue. And first, a warning. The story does contain images of a violent confrontation. What on earth is going on in this cul-de-sac in Surrey's Guilford neighborhood? We're on camera all the time. It starts in the morning and goes till the evening. Terrifying and intimidating is how they describe a daily campaign of harassment against the family that lives here. Benson Gao and his wife and daughter, apparently targeted because of a dispute with a Chinese language media entrepreneur based in the U.S. I thought I lived under democracy. Now I'm living fear and in terror. Can you blame him? This video captures the moment Wednesday when his friend was allegedly attacked by two of the so-called demonstrators. RCMP arrested two men in connection with the assault, but the campaign against Gao has carried on. Saturday, we counted about a dozen masked people either filming or loitering in the vicinity for most of the day, coming right up to Gao's property. Hello. Yeah. Hey, just wanted to ask why you're filming here on the property. What does that mean? No. No English. I don't know what to talk about. They give the death threats one, once and once, maybe many times to my husband. Well, police did drop by a couple of times Saturday. Residents here say they're baffled about why neither the police nor the city have found a way to stop what they say is little more than thuggery. Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum didn't return our call Saturday. The RCMP told us they'd get back to us Monday. The police, the city, 
everybody, every government official keeps telling us it's the right under the Charter, the Charter of Rights. And that seems to supersede every other right. In Surrey, Paul Johnson, Global News. Four Metro Vancouver men are accused of operating an illegal gaming house after a Burnaby business was raided in the summer. The Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit executed a search warrant at Big Shots Cafe on East Hastings in July. Officers with the anti-gang unit seized poker tables, slot machines, cash, poker chips and playing cards. 57-year-old Francisco... Pardon me, Francisco Perez, 58-year-old Richard Kosterman, 40-year-old Jay Franco, and 36-year-old Andrew McFarlane have since been charged with keeping a common betting house. The annual holiday counterattack campaign got underway last night. RCMP in Surrey out reminding drivers to make smart decisions to get home safely this holiday season. Impaired driving remains a leading cause of fatal car crashes, with an average of 67 lives lost every year in B.C. More than half of impaired-related crashes occur on weekends. Eight years today, a young woman vanished from Victoria, and police are hoping the public can help solve her mysterious disappearance. New photos of 26-year-old Emma Filipov are being released in the hopes that some will trigger someone's memory. On November 28, 2012, Victoria police were alerted to a woman acting strangely in front of the Empress Hotel. Police say they spoke to Filipov at length and determined she was okay, but hours later, she was reported missing. She hasn't been seen or heard from since. A reward offered by Filipov's mother and an extensive investigation have prompted hundreds of tips, but no leads. North Vancouver District firefighters had to use a stretcher to help a man who went into medical distress on the BCMC trail this morning. A pre-existing medical condition is believed to be responsible. Crews had to pass several people flocking to the popular trail, many not dressed for the conditions. The grass grind is closed due to snow on the mountain, but fire crews say people are using other trails to gain access to it. Many were spotted today in running shoes. Everybody has to realize it's winter now. It's not the grind of the summertime. The top half of the grind is closed because there's a lot of snow up there. People are not going up prepared for that kind of stuff. Uh, we see a lot of people sneaking up the BCMC because there's no closure on that, but there's still winter conditions at the top. Some people are very well prepared. They've got the spikes, they've got the poles, they've got you know, extra clothes, but we see a lot of people still going up in running shoes. A restaurant that's been an institution in Vancouver for decades is closing. The West Georgia White Spot is where many people met for a bite to eat after a trip downtown to Stanley Park or to English Bay. But it's now making way for yet another massive condo tower. Nadia Stewart has more on today's goodbye. It was never a dull moment, never the same. Ask retired hostess Barbara Charles about the good old days at the Georgia Street White Spot. April Fool's Day, uh, we tell people we didn't have bathrooms and stuff. And she'll tell you one story after another. We were bored, so three, about three or five of us went outside on the top step and did a can-can dance. <laughs> that stopped the traffic. <laughs> it was fun. For Charles, this place was like a second home. Her first day was opening day, January 4th, 1980. Saturday is closing day after 40 years in the community.
this is a big deal, this building closing, you know, and well, I get emotional. <laughs> The property sold a little while ago for $245 million, but the company continued to lease the space. This year, as they looked at whether or not to renew. When we looked at uh, the ongoing or increasing costs that we have of doing business, and then you layer on COVID on top of that, unfortunately, from a business point of view, it made the decision a little bit easier for us. White Spot Hospitality President Warren Earhart says the decision to close was hardly bittersweet. This location was not Bailey's sixth for the 92-year-old company. So much has changed. It's why Earhart says restaurants have to stay innovative if they're going to stay alive. Well, I think the restaurants really need to continue to reinvent ourselves as an industry of how we can be that neighborhood spot that people go to, that connect with the neighborhood, as you said, um, at the same time have an a economical business model. But the neighborhood is losing something. It's a void condos and high-rises cannot fill. Nadia Stirk, Global News. It's being dubbed Vancouver's first prefabricated duplex, which could pave the way for increased housing density in the region. The modular duplex is going up near Victoria and East First Avenue. The homes have been constructed and finished in a factory in Kamloops. All of the plumbing, cabinets, lighting, window casings, even the finishing paint on the walls has been pre-installed. This is our first one, <laughs> and uh, we're pretty sure this is the first one in Vancouver. So it's been a, a great learning experience, and uh, hopefully there'll be uh, more to come. Six separate prefabricated modules are being craned into place on the new foundation. A Vancouver chef who's behind a world-renowned conservation program is among 114 people named to the Order of Canada this week. Rob Clark is receiving the recognition for helping establish OceanWise, a program to help businesses and customers identify and purchase sustainable seafood. The award-winning chef, author, and co-owner of The Fish Counter is a founding partner of the Vancouver Aquarium's OceanWise program that supports more sustainable seafood sources. It's not just me. What's really important to understand, I've, I've been given this honor, but it took a lot of people, a lot of dedication, a lot of, a lot of, of, of coming together of different groups, fishermen and, and NGOs and, you know, the Vancouver Cram. For a full list of this year's Order of Canada recipients, you can go to our website. Health officials in Manitoba say a boy from Winnipeg less than 10 years old has died from COVID-19. It's unclear if he had any underlying health conditions, but he is the youngest victim in that province. Manitoba has the highest number of active cases. 487 new cases were confirmed there today, its third highest single-day tally. Quebec has shattered its highest single-day record with 1,480 people testing positive in the last 24 hours. And in Ontario, more than 1,800 new cases have been recorded for a second day in a row. As COVID case counts continue to rise and the possibility of a vaccine draws closer, it appears Canadians are moving away from the idea of a mandatory vaccination. Ipsos polling exclusively for Global News shows 59% of Canadians agree a COVID vaccination should be mandatory. That's down 13 points since July. 71% say the speed at which the vaccines were created makes them nervous. And 69% are concerned about potential long-term effects. Despite that, 
52% say they would take a COVID-19 vaccine as soon as they become available. And 57% say once a vaccine is approved, they believe it will be safe. When asked who should receive the vaccine first, a majority of Canadians said frontline healthcare workers and first responders. After that, seniors should be next in line, then employees of long-term care facilities, followed by those with pre-existing health conditions and other essential service employees. The U.S. is expecting to have its first doses of the COVID-19 vaccine in a matter of weeks. Health officials will hold an emergency meeting next week to decide who will get it first. More than 13 million Americans have tested positive for the virus and more than 265,000 have died. But as Jennifer Johnson reports, there's growing fear the worst is yet to come. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to spiral out of control in the U.S., an advisory panel with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has called an emergency meeting Tuesday. It will vote on who will get the vaccine first when it's approved. Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles has ultra-cold freezers ready for hundreds of thousands of doses. The vaccines are becoming available right at the time that we're experiencing another surge. Uh, so the nurses who commonly would be the ones to administer the vaccine are needed at the bedside to care for COVID patients. By next week, it's estimated a quarter of all U.S. hospitals will have staffing shortages. In some areas, workers with the virus but no symptoms are being told to return. It is a mixed message to the public to allow asymptomatic COVID positive nurses, physicians, and other healthcare workers to work. And there you go. With the virus rapidly spreading, local officials are being forced to take desperate steps to slow the spread. A three-week stay-at-home order in Los Angeles County, the nation's largest, starts Monday, prohibiting all public and private gatherings. Deaths in the county have recently tripled. Just two weeks ago, we were looking at maybe 1,200 cases a day, and now we're at 4,700 cases a day. Doctors are begging people to stay home and stop socializing, a warning ignored by millions over the Thanksgiving holiday. We will not get a reprieve because then Christmas comes and then New Year comes. So if we're just stacking surge upon surge upon surge, I am significantly worried about that. Every day, well over a thousand Americans die of COVID-19. Those who survive know how lucky they are. It's really frightening. I thought an asthma attack was frightening. It's expected healthcare workers and those living in long-term nursing home facilities will be the first to receive the vaccine. The Food and Drug Administration will meet with its advisors about the vaccine rollout plan December 10th. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Police in London had their hands full trying to break up an anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine protests. Well, more than 60 arrests were reportedly made as hundreds breached the nationwide lockdown that's ending in just four days. Pandemonium broke out in Paris after a proposed French law sparked nationwide protests. The bill would make it a crime to film or take photos of police. Thousands defied lockdown measures to decry the law, calling it a threat to media freedom. Days ago, footage surfaced of French officers brutally beating a black man. We know COVID-19 has left nobody unaffected, but data is increasingly clear. The pandemic is having a disproportionate impact on women 
all over the world. One local doctor says the holiday season has the potential to be a one-two punch, creating more unpaid caregiving work for women. Experts refer to this phenomenon as the she-session as opposed to a recession. Over the past nine months, women have left the workforce at rates far surpassing that of their male counterparts. And there are a lot of societal factors at play. Dr. Julia Smith from Simon Fraser University says everything from child care and existing income to ethnicity plays a role. What we're seeing is that women are really um, being pushed out of the workforce economically. And that's for a number of reasons. One, those sectors that primarily employ women, like tourism, hospitality, service, are really affected by the, the, you know, the slowdown of the economy and the physical distancing measures that we have to have in place. At the same time, women remain primarily responsible for the unpaid care work. So even before COVID, women were doing two to three times the amount of unpaid care work in Canada compared to men. Now, with childcare uh, centers closing, with schools being closed in the spring, with interruptions in those services, and with elderly relatives needing specialized care, all of that work, you know, is generally falling onto women. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It is a situation ripe for scammers. More people doing their shopping online during the pandemic. Global's Sarah Ryan has a cautionary tale of a purchase that wasn't quite what the buyer expected. I was scrolling on Facebook and uh, this website came up with these beautiful wreaths. One with a red pickup truck really caught Brenda Mackin's eye. So she placed an order for about $40. When I got it, I didn't quite get what I ordered. What she got? was this. I'm like, are you kidding me? Needless to say, she was disappointed. Well, I was expecting a much bigger, uh, more deluxe sort of uh, wreath with an actual car in it, because that's what the photo looked like. And instead, I got this scrawny, <laughs> scrawny little thing with a piece of cardboard. She didn't check the fine print for dimensions, but feels the pictures were misleading and wants others to be wary. Just be care really careful when you order stuff. You know, online, make sure you know what you're getting. Online merchandise scams are on the rise this year, boosted by the pandemic. In all of 2019, there were 2,500 reported scams that cost Canadians $2.7 million. This year, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre had already seen 2,500 complaints before October, representing $7.2 million in losses. From people not getting anything at all to not getting what they ordered to getting counterfeit goods. So merchandise scams are happening en masse, we'll say. RCMP intelligence analyst Jeff Thompson says online shoppers need to trust their gut. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. So these greatly discounted products, you know, especially if it's name brand products that sell for thousands of dollars and you're getting them for a couple hundred, that's, that's certainly a big red flag. He also recommends checking reviews and refund policies. Do as much due diligence as possible on the products that you're buying. You know, you, you can search it with the word scam beside it, on the seller with the word scam beside it. As for Mackin, she ended up buying a replacement wreath, but not online. I went to Michael's in Sherwood Park and I bought one there. <laughs> Sarah Ryan, Global News. 
The holiday decorations that are all about scammers one-upping each other. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. Uh, but look at this. This is autumn in Australia, where people are hitting the beaches to cool off as the first heat wave of the season hits. Temperatures reached 47 degrees in parts of New South Wales and 40 in Sydney. Fire bans have already been issued in some parts of the country to help prevent the catastrophic fires last year that hit last year and they are still fresh on people's minds and despite only 100 covid cases in the country yesterday people are still being urged to follow pandemic rules so blistering hot we really hope Yvonne that that Australia doesn't end up like last year but we're expecting some wind yeah, very windy conditions. We've already got the winds working its way in across the northern half of the province, and that same system is going to push in across the south coast. All the warnings in just a moment. But first off, it was a nice break from the rainfall today. We had some sunshine in the mix, dry conditions. If you were up earlier enough, like David, Mount Seymour, some snow showing today, a gorgeous shot up there, and one of the sunrise this morning, and this one was captured by Lorraine. So early bird, uh, beautiful shots, and the sunrise, Pacific Spirit Regional Park, and this one was taken by Stephanie, so thank you so much. All right. We are going to be looking at dry conditions this evening, but it'll be chilly, so do bundle up. We'll dip down to one, so we'll be close to and hovering the freezing mark. Tomorrow morning, we do have some fog in the mix, and then it is going to dissipate. By the afternoon, we've got an increase in cloud cover and a chance of showers. Temperatures will climb up to nine. We saw highs today anywhere between seven and eight degrees. This is the next weather maker that we're tracking that is working its way in. It'll continue to be very blustery along the northern half of the province and then push its way towards the south. Now the timeline for tomorrow morning we'll still have dry conditions by the afternoon we will see that rain across the island heavy at times and then the heaviest precipitation for metro vancouver will be late tomorrow evening and then continuing through the morning hours on monday and very blustery we've got wind warnings that are in effect for the northern half of the province indicated in red southeasterly potentially up to 90 kilometers per hour now inland we do have a snowfall warning 15 and up to 25 20 centimeters stewart's included within that and all areas that are in yellow that's a special weather statement along the south coast. Metro Vancouver is included within that. And the winds are going to pick up for the afternoon south easterly 50 and up to 80 kilometers per hour. And then they'll shift to a northwesterly as we get in towards the evening. And those winds will continue overnight and for our Monday morning. So heads up, blip in the forecast. A blustery day will be on our Monday. And then a nice break is on the way. I wanted to show you this. This is a long-range forecast. As we look ahead past Monday, ridge of high pressure is going to build in. And we'll have several days of dry conditions leading all the way in towards next week and potentially next weekend. Now, the northern half of the province, wet and windy for tomorrow. The wind should ease off towards the afternoon. The southern interior tomorrow, a chance of flurries moves in by the evening. And then some wet snowfall just for the early morning morning hours on Monday. It is going to get windy as we get in through the day tomorrow with that special weather statement and wet, especially for a Monday. A nice clearing will be on the way. Mm-hmm. Seven day forecast. I don't typically show this very no. often, but I wanted to show you that trend to show you the dry conditions and what we can look forward to next week. Colleen? Love it. Thanks so much, Yvonne. An Austin, Texas couple is bringing some holiday joy to their neighborhood with a little movie nostalgia. They created a display inspired by the holiday movie classic Home Alone, handcrafting the characters using a 3D printer. The display features many nostalgic designs from scenes such as Macaulay Culkin's Kevin McAllister on the roof holding paint cans. And, of course, no Home Alone display would be complete without the film's comical burglars, Harry and Marv, played by actors Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. So far, the display has been a huge success, bringing much-needed holiday cheer to all who drive by. 
I, I had to look it up. Do either of you have guesses how long this, like, how long it's been since it came out and how old Macaulay Culkin is? Mm. No, but it feels is like it's the nineties, maybe. Yeah, the 90s? he's forty years old. Oh my! God. And it came out thirty years ago. Oh my goodness! <laughs> For some reason, when I saw that number, I had to double check the math twice. I was like, no, no, but thirty years ago. 1990. It's a classic. We'll yeah. see it, uh, I'm sure, many times coming I, up. Every year. <laughs> every year. Barry, what do you got coming up? Well, this uh, second wave of COVID has hit everyone hard, including the NFL. This just in about an hour ago. One team tomorrow has no healthy quarterbacks. Oh. It's not the Seahawks, but what are they going to do? So that's just wow. the situation that we see with, with COVID in the NFL right now. But we do have a good story as well. We call it a kicker at the end of the show. And we have mm -hmm. kind of a good lighthearted story, good human interest story. It's actually on a kicker who uh, made some history <laughs> in sports. You have to tie those together. Made some history in the NCAA football. So we'll have that as well. For more than three decades, she was Santa's helper, dutifully answering thousands of Christmas letters from children in Kamloops and from around the world. But Izzy McQueen is retiring, and not necessarily by choice. Retired postal workers will now do the job that has brought her so much joy. CFJC's Delana Nishaw has her story. If you've lived in the Kamloops area in the last few decades and wrote a letter to Santa, odds are you or your child has gotten a response from Izzy McQueen. Checking it twice. Gonna find they called me Mrs. Claus and a lot of the people, Mrs. Claus. I said, no, I'm Santa's helper. The postmaster asked me. After 34 years of letter writing, McQueen is stepping back. The Santa letter program is now run through the Canada Post Heritage Club, so helpers like Izzy were told they would be retired. This would have been 35, but that's okay, that's okay. I had a good 34 years. We had, it was lots of fun, and, we, and then we'd go out for dinner, and we'd, different ones would say, well, this, this kid said that, and this kid said that. Dear Santa, hi there, Santa. I'm so excited that Christmas is coming. I hope it's been a quiet retirement. Along with letters, normally McQueen would be busy cheering on the Blazers and volunteering with the Lions Club, but the pandemic has not impacted her positive outlook. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I'll find something to do. The 88-year-old's writing went around the globe, even getting responses back from the British royal family. McQueen has read thousands of Santa letters and says she enjoyed every second of it. And they all said, how can, how can Santa fly around on, on that special night? I said, you have to believe in magic. That's what I put. What else can you say? It does take something special to write around 3,000 letters every year for more than three decades. McQueen made sure to include kids, adults, and anyone who wanted a Christmas message. I, I sent them to Australia. I sent everywhere. It just seemed, you know, and then, and, and the, and then the kids, are, and the high school kids, too, they would say, you know, I, we believe in Santa. Would you, mind, would you mind sending me a letter? So I'd send them one. The long-standing helper says she hopes those who take on the task maintain the Christmas spirit the previous team of volunteers poured into their work. I just hope that those guys read every letter because somebody said, you don't read every letter. I said, we read every letter. We did. We read every letter. I'm eight years old and my, my nickname is Loving Girl. I've been a good girl this year, Santa. I help my parents do housework. But all in all, it, it, was, it was fun. It was really fun. Be good for goodness. 
The emotional toll wrought by the pandemic is jumping off the pages in a deluge of Dear Santa letters now pouring into a post office in southwest France that sorts and responds to the mail he receives from around the world. One from Taiwan slipped a face mask inside a greeting card sent to Santa. Another asked Santa to please use the front door when he drops in because the back door is reserved for her grandma and grandpa to minimize their risk of contamination. And yet another wrote that she was wishing that her aunt never has cancer again and that the virus no longer exists. Be part of the holiday tradition and give to Lights of Hope. From now until January 12th, give some light and hope by donating to St. Paul's Foundation. Your donations make it possible to save lives, provide warm clothing to patients in need, and fund research initiatives at St. Paul's Hospitals. Covenant House Vancouver's doors remain open as they provide unconditional love and absolute respect for youth overcoming homelessness. Your donation today will be triple matched, allowing you to have three times the impact for youth in need. Give the gift of hope today. Global BC, celebrating 60 years of broadcasting. Celebrating 60 years as BC's News. Barry's here with Sports and Barry, I guess it was just a matter of time. Yeah, some real interesting scenarios going on in uh, the NFL right now concerning COVID. Thanks, Colleen. The uh, second wave of COVID is hitting the entire world with a fury, and the NFL is also getting rocked. Today it was revealed the Denver Broncos have no quarterbacks who can play tomorrow versus New Orleans. All of them are on the COVID list. The third stringer tested positive earlier this week, and the other two tested positive today. It's too late to bring in another quarterback. Even GM John Elway is ineligible, if you're wondering about that. So running back Royce Freeman could be the guy who will play quarterback, or the Broncos could actually forfeit, which seems unlikely. But what a disadvantage. Also, the San Francisco 49ers could be forced to play home games elsewhere because the county they're in has banned contact sports for now. And that uh, Ravens-Steelers game postponed twice already and now set for Tuesday. It remains in jeopardy as the Ravens now have 18 players on the COVID list. We'll see how it all works out. The uh, Seahawks have done a very good job staying healthy COVID-wise in these trying times. They play Monday night in primetime in Philadelphia against an Eagles team that's lost two straight and has now dropped out of first in the feeble NFC East, the weakest division in the NFL. Our strongman, Chanel, breaks it all down in the red zone. After that big win versus the Cardinals last week, the Seahawks have a bit of breathing room atop the NFC West. Monday night, it's a battle of the birds as the Hawks head to Philadelphia to face an Eagles side that has lost two straight games but somehow lead the NFC East. Now, the Hawks begin the softest part of their schedule this week as their next four games are against teams who have just nine combined wins. The Eagles aren't very good, yet still can win their division. Now, the ground game has been decent. Last week, 96 yards in the first half, but twice those drives ended in turnovers. In fact, the Eagles have turned it over 20 times. That's third most in the NFL. Carson Wentz has had a tough season as he leads the NFL in two categories. No quarterback wants to be number one in. Wentz has thrown 14 interceptions, including a couple last week, and he's been sacked 40 times. While he faces the fourth-worst defense, the Seattle D has actually been better, limiting chances and posting six sacks in the last couple of games. 
Barring a setback, Chris Carson is expected to return after missing nearly a month with a foot injury. Carson hasn't had a 100-yard game this season, but he could on Monday night as the Eagles are eighth worst stopping the run and have allowed an average of 151 yards on the ground in their last four losses. The Hawks' defense come in off one of their best performances this season, holding the number one offense to just 314 total yards. This unit has been better in the last two weeks, recording six sacks along the way. As for Russell Wilson, he should be able to take advantage of a secondary like he did in last year's playoffs, as DK Metcalf set a rookie receiving record with 160 yards. The Hawks are a five-point favorite Monday night, but have lost three straight games on the road, including twice as the betting chalk. Now, overall, Seattle has won six straight versus the Eagles and has held them to just an average of 12 points in those games. And it is confirmed Chris Carson will play for sure Monday for the Seahawks. Well, how about an uplifting story for a change in these dog days of COVID? It was an historic day in American college football as Vanderbilt's Sarah Fuller became the first female to ever take part in a Southeast Conference game, which is the top football conference in the NCAA. That's where powerhouses like Alabama, Auburn, Florida, LSU, among others, compete. Fuller is a soccer player, but with all the Vandy kickers on the COVID list, she stepped in and made history. The back of her helmet proudly reads, play like a girl. She'd never played football before, but hit a 38-yarder in practice this week. Didn't get a field goal or extra point chance. This was her only play. It was the kickoff to start the second half, and she executed the squib kick perfectly, according to her head coach. Vanderbilt lost 41-0, but it's a day Sarah, and a lot of people will never forget. First female to play in a Power 5 college football game, which are the top five conferences in NCAA Division One. Here she is talking about her magical moment. Honestly, I was just really calm. Uh, the SEC championship was more stressful, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. Um, but I was, I was really excited to step out on the field and do my thing. So, I mean, I just want to tell like all the girls out there that you can do anything you set your mind to. Like, you really can. And if you have that mentality all the way through, like, you can do big things. So... Well, that is a great story. English Premiership, Liverpool taking on Brighton at Anfield. It took an hour, but Liverpool opened the scoring. Diogo Jota continues his scoring spree, his ninth of the year already. A great pickup from Wolves. It looked like it would end 1-0, but then this controversial penalty gets called. Andy Robertson inadvertently kicks and gets a piece of the toe of Danny Welbeck. Went to VAR, where they said it was a foul. Liverpool didn't like it, but Pascal Gross converts from the spot. Won all the final. Liverpool moved temporarily, at least, into first. A point up on Spurs. And Everton and Leeds. Everton stumbling after a 4-0 start, and it continued today, scoreless until the 79th. And Rafina out of nowhere, some 25 yards out with a fantastic shot. 1-0 Leeds win. They climb to 11th with their fourth victory. Not bad for a team elevated to the Premiership to start the season. That's it for sports. The gang's all here. Uh, I want to tell you about this massive 
Ice Park, almost two square kilometers in size, and it's now open in Moscow. Have a look. This rink is so big. How big is it? Thank you, Barry. It takes about 15 minutes just to skate around it. Tickets are being sold online uh, for limited quantities and specific time slots. So Russia reported a sharp daily spike in COVID cases yesterday, like so many places, with more than 27,000 new infections. That's more than 2,000 more than the day before. So as you can understand, people are being asked to keep their distance when they go ice skating. At least there's room to keep some distance. Right. Lots and in Russia, there's no danger of the ice melting Not this really. time of year. Not really. <laughs> That's the news hour for tonight. Jordan's here at 11. Stay with us now for Donna Friesen and the new reality. Have a good night.